been a while since I've been on duty for speaking, so I feel like I'm getting back into the swing of it today after the summer, and yeah, it's been a long time, so, but I'm looking forward to um, speaking what I feel God's put on my heart for this passage. Um, we're continuing on in our series today um, in the coming kingdom and in our exploration of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the lectionary at present is kind of leading us through Jesus' teaching and explanation to his disciples and those around him who he's meeting um, about the kingdom that he is bringing about and what shape that's taking, what challenges it brings, and what ethics it causes us then to apply to our daily lives. And in our passage today, in Mark 10, we, we see Jesus is giving a teaching on the fundamental understanding of how we enter into the kingdom of God. And ultimately, I think he's giving this masterclass in discipleship and surrender. Um, and you can probably tell a lot of our worship this morning has been focused on that place of surrender, kind of leading ourselves into that place where we can focus on what it actually means to, to hand over all of ourselves to God. Oh, thank you. That's so much better now, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Sherry. Um, oh, the glasses. Um, so we're going to read our passage. You can follow along on the screen, or you can listen to me. We're reading from the NIV, which is unfortunately different to the Church Bible. So, Mark 10, 17 to 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields 
along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. <clears throat> and Scott Evans, in his opening statement when we started this series a few weeks ago, he informed us that this, this gospel is short and urgent, it's kind of punchy, Mark doesn't beat around the bush through everything, but he also said that we have an opportunity through this text to really learn through the interactions of Jesus with people, and so that we can um, know how to live and how to love in this coming kingdom. Um, I feel for me, um, as I kind of approach this text, it was with those words echoing in my head. And because of that, I think the very physical description of this interaction of Jesus with this young man, it just it was quite vivid for me. I think even in the body language of the drama of, you know, this young man, he, he runs up in verse 17, he ran up and he fell at his feet. He literally stopped Jesus in his tracks. It's, a, it's an impulsive and somewhat kind of risky and desperate move. And this story is also seen in the other two synoptic gospels. And we glean a little bit more information about the man um, from Luke and from Matthew. And Luke tells us that he is a ruler. So he's probably maybe one of the Sanhedrin or a part of the, the people who are in the upper echelons of society. Matthew tells us that he is young, which may kind of explain the speed and the impulsivity of his um, first encounter with Jesus. But all these little nuggets of information, they were quite interesting to me because it gave us these little insights into the uniqueness of this particular interaction. And I guess it also just reminded me that Jesus, when he interacts with us, it's always unique to us too. Um, I think, you know, when we read the Bible, there's always, it's two-tone. I feel like we are being discipled ourselves by Jesus through the very words, but we are also learning how to disciple others as we read the Bible. And as I said, I really feel that this particular passage, it's this kind of masterclass in discipleship by Jesus with this man, if, if we take a look at it. Um, and it begins, I guess, when he, he lands at Jesus' feet and he asks Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the first thing that Jesus does is to make him stop and think about his perspective. Why are you calling me good? Do you really believe that? What he's actually pushing for here is, does this young man see that Jesus and God are one in, in nature and in identity? So he's asking, what is your perspective? What's the lens through which you see God? And he makes him consider who he's talking to, and what he believes about Jesus before he takes him any further. And I think this is important going forward as, as what he knows and believes about Jesus will possibly determine how he reacts to where Jesus wants to take him and what Jesus asks of him. And next, Jesus begins to turn the focus a little bit from God 
to the man himself. And he begins to kind of say, well, you know, what do you believe about yourself? And, and Jesus lists off all these kind of the, the prohibitive commandments. And the man kind of starts, I think, to feel, hey, this is good. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm in the zone here. I'm winning at this so far, you know. Hey, I've kept all these since I was a boy. And as Jesus is encourage him, encouraging him to look at himself, I, I felt reading it that he started with helping him focus and see his outward life at play. And to the man, that looks pretty good. I've kept all these commandments. But then there is this beautiful moment, and I love the way it's written in the text. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And it's in that moment that Jesus, he sees this man's heart. He sees the struggle of all that he's done to try and keep the law. He sees the longing in this man to know more about the kingdom. He sees the deep need to surrender but he also sees the area of control that's specific to this man that is holding him back from doing that. And it's out of this place of love for this man that Jesus then shows him the truth of his inner life versus his outer life. And then, and only then, from Jesus comes that loving personal challenge which is specific to this man and finally begins to answer his initial question of what must, what must I do to get eternal life? Well, he must give all his possessions to the poor and he will then have treasure in heaven. Essentially, he must love God first and he must love his neighbor. And before, but before we move on into that, I, love to just revisit for a moment the strategic nature of Jesus' discipleship in this interaction. Because what we learn here, I think, is really valuable to our own daily walk and to how we encourage others in, in our reactions, in our interactions with Jesus. If we look back, what he does is he encourages us to first look at God, consider who we are talking to, consider what we believe about our good, good father, which we have sung about earlier on. Then he asks us to look at ourselves and to examine the truth about our outward and our inward lives. And then, then we are in that place to receive that personal, specific challenge to each of us to change. And then he says, follow me. This is exciting, come with me, follow me. So look at God, look at yourself, examine the truth about your outward and inner life and receive that personal challenge that Jesus is offering to you and follow him. And that's for us, but it's also for us with those around us. I believe this is how we are to be discipled and to disciple. And in the next few verses, <clears throat> we see Jesus shedding light on the cost and the reward of this discipleship that he's displaying and teaching us about. And this, I think, is where we get to begin to bring this to a point of application for ourselves. This young man, he's come to him because he knows, he knows there's something missing. He, even though he's followed all these laws, he's remained deeply dissatisfied inwardly. 
And I think he feels that there's this higher demand that he's now ready to meet in some way. And so his question to Jesus is, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think it's important here that, that we're all on the same page when it comes to eternal life and understanding that. And what Jesus is offering us ultimately is relationship with him. That's what he's offering us. And to inherit eternal life means to gain entrance into the kingdom of God and to live and have existence with him now and beyond death. That's what he's inviting us into. That's what he's offering us. But the key, I think, to this teaching and to eternal life is seen in Jesus' answer to the man and to the disciples. Entry into the kingdom can never be an achievement of human effort. Never. Salvation is always God's achievement, not man's. Salvation, which leads to eternal life, is about a work of God in our hearts. Verse 24, it's easier to push a massive camel through the eye of a very tiny needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I love that he just uses this mental visual, you know, to really show us how impossible this is, how we are never going to do this by ourselves. This can only be a work of God. But he follows up so quickly with verse 27. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. It's his work in our hearts that brings us to this place of full dependence on him and a surrendering of all these centers of control that we have in our lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's his Holy Spirit that causes us to experience his presence at work and to see and understand the riches that we perceive to be so important, but actually they're really not. And it's then in our very beings, when we get to that place, when he does that work in our hearts, that we can understand and proclaim <clears throat> these words from Psalm 63, 3. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. So Jesus shows this man that it's not enough to be guided by the many prohibitions in the law. There's one thing that he lacks. He must first and foremost love God with all his heart and all his soul and his neighbor as himself. And must walk that out by losing his security in his wealth and finding his security in Jesus' word to him. So I'm challenged today, I guess, to ask, well, what is the one thing that we lack? What are the things in our lives that are wrong priorities, maybe, and that are keeping us from what matters most, keeping us from our treasure in heaven? Being rich in the kingdom of God is so much more than our monetary wealth. Um, in his book, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box, John Ortberg writes a whole chapter on being rich towards God. And he says that being rich towards God 
is an exercise in making that which is temporary become the servant to that which is eternal. I'll just say that again. Being rich towards God is an exercise in making that which is temporary become the servant to that which is eternal. So what are the temporary things in our lives that are kind of these little small masters that are ruling our thoughts and our actions? Because they need to come under the eternal authority. Verse 22 <clears throat> says, At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, this, that's probably one of the saddest verses in this gospel, but it's also the most human. Because this is very real for most of us. Um, what reality of surrendering control for us, for you today, makes your face fall, makes you have that reaction? What one thing do we lack? For some of us, it will be the same. For some of, some of us, maybe it is wealth. Maybe it is money and finance. For some of us, it's, it's our dreams and ambition and what we want to do with our lives. Some of us, it's the security of where we live, the security of having family and friends around us, of shielding ourselves from rejection. We all have to face a cost in following Jesus. But in the final verses, Jesus speaks of the reward and he encourages his disciples who've given up everything to follow him. He says that they will have a hundred times what they need in this present age. And fundamentally, our hope is otherworldly. And those words are hard to take on board. And it will only fully make sense, I think, to us in the age to come. As believers and followers of Jesus, we're living in this realm where the first will be last and the last will be first. And the rewards we experience as disciples can only really be understood through this eternal perspective and can only be received by the grace of God. So my hope for us as a community today is that we would just have this sense of, of wanting to kind of shake off the shackles of what holds us back to actually look at those things that we lack today. That as our faces fall at the realization of the cost of following Jesus, my hope is that we won't be ones who walk away sad. My hope is that we will be ones that hold the gaze of the one who looks at us and loves us that we will hold that gaze and that we will have the strength of character to freely yield these centers of control in our lives and return, receive all that is available to us in the kingdom of God. And I think just to revisit what we started with, to remind ourselves again, to look at God, to look at ourselves, to examine the truth about our inner and outer lives, 
to receive and listen to that personal challenge from him and to step into the joy of following him. That's what he's asking us. So I'm gonna ask Sherry and the guys to come back up. Sherry's chosen a, a lovely song to help us in a time of reflection now, I think, as we think about these questions, what we lack, what you felt in that moment as we read that text about our faces falling. We don't want to be the ones who turn away today. We want to be the ones who hold his gaze. Maybe, maybe you have a fresh understanding of the kingdom of God or, and your eternal relationship with him, or maybe you've been reminded of that today. I think if you're not aware of a center of control in your life, you probably do have one. I think we all have them. We all have them. I'd encourage you in the next few minutes just to, to sit with that before the Lord. Ask him, what do I lack? If it's obvious to you, if you can feel the Lord putting his finger on something now and you're able to immediately say, yeah, this is what I lack. Ask him into that. Bravely put it down today and put your trust in Jesus. He won't let you down. So I'm just going to pray for us and then Sherry's going to sing this song. Um, and after a while, we'd love to, to stand together and sing it. But for now, use it as a time just to, for you and God, just to have a bit of a chat. Father, I pray for all of us here now that you would show us an eternal perspective, God. Lord, I pray for each of us now that we can see you turn and look at us and love us. Father, help us to hold your gaze. Help us not to turn away sad, God. Help us to hold your gaze and listen to what you're saying to us. Thank you, God, for your love for us. Thank you, you are our good, good Father. That you see all that we do in this world and you see all that we are inside and that you long to lead us through that towards eternity with you, God. Father, I pray for all of us today that you would lead us to that place in our very beings where we are able to say, Jesus, your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you.